victorious church. And um, I just love Oasis. I love our little chapter, like a little bit, a little corner of the kingdom of God. It's wonderful things are going on. And I'm, I just feel honored. Christy and I feel so honored, so blessed that you guys are with us, that you're running with us. And everyone's making a contribution. Everyone's part of it. And it just makes you feel really strong. So um, we are in this fantastic series. I've actually been really getting a lot out of it so far, but it's called While We Wait. And um, we've taken it from um, a series of uh, stories that Jesus told, um, a series of little pictures that he drew, a little, little vignettes that he drew of what it, the disciples started to ask the question, what's the end of the time? What's the end of the world going to look like? What's the end going to look like? And I don't know if it's was back then, it seems to me that it's this universal thing, that we love the idea of Armageddon. I mean, we love the idea of what's going to be, like the drama of the ending. And so many movies have been made about it. We love that sort of craziness of, you know, full on, what's going to happen? Funnily enough, the disciples back then, they, they weren't thinking about Jesus' second coming, even though this, all these stories is really about Jesus' return. They were just thinking about Jesus' coming. They were thinking about him arriving and establishing his ruling, his rulership of the whole universe. Um, they didn't quite understand the fullness of it, but now we do. We've sort of kind of seen what's happened, that Jesus went to the cross and he rose again into heaven. I'm going to get into that in a little bit more. But just to give you a recap, um, we've got a five-week series and each, of, each week we're focusing on one of the little stories, these little vignettes, as I like to call them, um, of... <laughs> Joel would appreciate uh, the vocab, the vocab lesson. Um, but week number one, Joel talked about the nocturnal thief. Second week, the faithful servant. That was Beck. Um, today, I'm going to be talking about the ten bride bridesmaids. Next week, it's all about the talents, Christie's favourite um, parable. And finally, it, it all comes to a head. And this is where you know the Armageddon type of thing, the end time. Um, Jesus tells a story about the sheep and the goats. We're going to talk about that too. So um, I would encourage you, if you've got a little bit of spare time this afternoon, sit down and have a read of Matthew 24 and Matthew 25. Just kind of, you get a bit of a scope for what he was talking about, what it was all about. And the disciples asked him a series of questions and Jesus responded with a series of stories. And by the way, after this series, we've got this new, great new series coming up. It's called Staying in Love. Can you guess what it's all about? Staying in love for the husbands and wives, for partners to work through stuff, to work through stuff. So it's a great series to in, encourage your friends, people who uh, maybe haven't been to church for a while, ask them to come along. And, you know, don't go heavy-handed on it, uh, but just say, look, it's great for relationships. We all understand that marriage is a wonderful thing. It's a beautiful institution designed by God. However, there's like little potholes along the way, aren't there? Like you, boom, your car hits a pothole from time to time or you hit a kangaroo. I don't know. I'm just <laughs> I'll get back to it. Um, but um, that's going to be a great series. So look forward to that starting November 5. Alrighty, so um, the big question that we're asking ourselves um, with all these stories about Jesus' return is, what do we do? Like, what do we get about, what we're all about while we're waiting for Jesus to return? 
And this whole idea of Jesus' return, I think for us in our modern age, we start to go, well, yeah, you know, it's one of those things for the far, far, far away future. And obviously, Jesus hasn't returned in the last 2,000 years, so why should we start to be expectant that all of a sudden he's going to show up, you know, in my lifetime? And we're surrounded in our busy Western lives by so many things, so many things to keep us busy. You know, we've got school runs to do, we've got lawns to mow, we've got jobs to get to and back again from. Um, we've, got so, we've got holidays to plan. Come on, anybody. Enjoy planning holidays. We're going to Europe next year. Chrissy's planning it, not me. But um, I'm so excited that, you know, we've got something to look forward to. So there's so many things to occupy our time and attention that the, this whole idea of Jesus returning is kind of not really on our radar, is it? I mean, we don't think about it. We don't talk about Jesus' return um, kind of every week. However, that uh, opener that you saw before was from another big church in the U.S., and we didn't even know that they were doing that series, but that's current. They just finished that series, um, and we thought about doing this series at the beginning of the year. Um, and there's another, um, another preacher in the U.S. His name is Judah Smith, and he's been preaching about Jesus' return as well. And, you know, look, not to get too excited about it, but I think there's something about talking about Jesus' return that's healthy for us as the church. In fact, this is what the, the New Testament, you'll be surprised about this, the New Testament focuses a lot more than you think on his return. Here's some stats for those who like stats. There are 300 references to the return of Christ in the New Testament. 216 out of the 260 chapters of the New Testament focus on the return of Christ. And 23 of the 27 New Testament books are about his return. That's an interesting statistic. That's a fairly big volume of information that's focused in on the New Testament about Jesus returning. You know, and I get it. I, I, uh, for those of us who have been around as adults in the 80s, um, and that I was not quite an adult then, but I was on my way, um, there was a lot going on about um, the end times, you know. And this guy, this, I uh, can't remember his name, but he wrote this fascinating book, about 88 reasons why the, the um, what's it called again? The, um, suddenly forgot the, the rapture. Anyone heard of that term, the rapture? 88 reasons why the rapture is going to happen in 1988. <laughs> it was a huge seller in 1988, as you can imagine. And then sales suddenly dwindled and he wrote a follow-up book or two. But um, each of those, unfortunately, his sales grew less and less and you'll, no longer in print. Um, someone else made this series of films called Left Behind. I don't know if anyone remembers that series. But that was this whole scenario of, because Jesus does actually talk about, um, there will come a time when he returns that those in Christ will be caught up to meet with him. And so some will be, there'll be two people working in a field and one will be caught up and the other one will be left behind. And so this whole series focused in on that. But it was a little bit scary and I was a little bit freaky and everyone was kind of worrying and, and freaking out about this, this idea that I'm going to be left behind. So maybe the church has kind of, as a reaction to all of that, gone, um, now that's an unpalatable subject. However, I believe with the, the volume of, of attention that the New Testament gives his return, that we should be talking about this stuff as well. We need to be thinking about it. Jesus talked about it. Paul and Peter talked about it. Um, quite a lot. And so there's a lot for you guys to study in your own time if you wish to. Um, 
And look, the early church was expectant for Jesus to return in their lifetime. They thought he was going to come back in their lifetime. They, they in, intensely believed that they were living in the last days. That's what they believed. And every generation probably that's followed on have thought, maybe this is the generation. Maybe this is the generation. And two, I mean, even now, this could be the generation where Jesus returns. We can't say wholeheartedly that it will happen, but we can look with expectation, is this the last days? I don't know. It might be my last days. It might be your last days. You have to have an expectation in your heart for Jesus to return. It will change the way that you live your life. It really will. However, nobody really knows when Jesus is going to return. He said in Matthew 24, But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Only the Father is the one who knows. Jesus even said, there's going to be signs. So there's going to be, um, you hear about wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be signs in the heaven and signs on the earth. There's going to be a lot of unrest and things going on. But that's just the birth pangs. That's just the beginning. And we can look around us quite easily, can't we, and go, oh my goodness, there's so much crazy things going on in our world right now that just seem so much unrest adds and brings so much fear. I mean, you've got some crazy guy in North Korea wanting to shoot nuclear weapons off. You've got a big mouth US president wanting to stir things up. You've got um, crazy things going on in Bali, volcanoes threatening to go off. There's so many, there's so much, um, you know, gunmen in the USA just shooting people left, right and centre. You think to yourself, maybe, you know, maybe this is the time. Well, we don't know the time, but definitely that you could say there's some birth pangs. Jesus even said, no one really knows. So it's going to come on you like a shock. And he said it's going to be even just like Noah's day, when, where everyone was going about their business. They were going to weddings. Um, they were having parties. Everything was happening until the day when the rain began to fall. That's what it's going to be like when he returns. However, so we don't know the day or the hour. But we can understand the season. I think that's what Jesus was pointing at. Understand the season that you're in. And there was a group of people in um, First Chronicles that were talked about called the men of Issachar. And the men of Issachar knew two s- significant things. They understood the times and they knew what Israel should do. And that's important for us too. We need to understand the times and significantly through that understanding know what we should be doing. That's for us as the church to have that wisdom. Alrighty, so you ready for this? I've kept you in suspense long enough. Uh, we're going to read the, uh, the account that Jesus talked about, the ten bridesmaids. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and they went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, foolish, and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps, but the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and they fell asleep. At midnight, they were roused by the shout, look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out to meet him. All the bridesmaids, they got up and they prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, asked the others, please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, 
We don't have enough. We don't have enough for us all. Go to the shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, Believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch. For you do not know the day or the hour of my return. Wow, it's, it's a sobering story, isn't it? I love the message translation. I've just got to tell you this for my own humor. Uh, but it says in verse 12, he answered, do I know you? Do I know you? I don't think I know you. And that was the situation that these bridesmaids found themselves in. It, it's a fascinating story. Outside, these 10 bridesmaids, they look the same. They're both bridesmaids. They're both waiting for the, the bridegroom to come. They're both doing the right thing in a way. But five are admitted in and five have to stay out. Okay, so what can we learn from this story? I've got a few points that uh, we can reflect on. First one is this. This is about delays. You may experience delays. How, don't you hate when you hear that public announcement? You may experience some delays. Ah! It's so frustrating. You know, you've got yourself to the airport. The plane's going to run and then you arrive with plenty of time and they say, oh, by the way, flight 734, has, there's a four-hour delay. And you're like, oh, what am I going to do now? I've got a little funny story about delays at airports. So um, this is before the days when I had my PA, Christy, um, organising my life. But um, I was young and single and managed to get myself an airline ticket. Um, we were going to Italy and uh, we had arrived in, uh, I think it was Belgium, we'd arrived at the airport and there was some kind of, you know, waiting period for the next plane. Waiting, waiting, waiting. I thought, oh, this is, I hate the waiting. So um, I went into some sort of convenience store and I was being a very sort of um, kind person. And all these old Italian mamas kept pushing in front of me in the line. I thought, oh, well, if that's the way they do things, I kind of wanted to be respectful. And I heard some kind of announcement out, out there in the, you know, the main concourse. And what, uh, the announcement was something like, you and Blakey and, and Ian, um, please report to gate and gate such and such because um, your plane's about to leave. We're waiting for you. And what I obviously heard while I was in that stop was, blah, 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 blah. I was like, oh, well, some kind of announcement. <laughs> Eventually got my stuff, go out. And my friend is screaming, like, where have you been? We've got, to get, we've got to get there right now. So we sprinted, like, as fast as our legs could carry us. Anyway, we got to the plane. Long story short, we got on the plane with a lot of raised eyebrows and, and huffy sort of looks. Um, but delays uh, have a way, unfortunately, of ruining our, our flow. And when a delay comes along, all of a sudden you lose your momentum and you stop thinking about the future. And I think that's one of the things we can learn about that is delays, you, you still need to be vigilant. You still need to have in your heart an expectation. So I want to encourage all of us to have that heart, have that desire that Jesus is still going to return. Have that desire in your heart. 
Okay, this is the other thing that I think we can learn from this story is the way I've summarized it to say we need to be self-feeders. We need to be self-feeders. You know what I mean when I say that? Having oil in your lamp is a great analogy for having your spiritual life replenished and full. You can't rely on somebody else to fill your oil lamp. You've got to fill your own oil lamp. You've got to look after your own life. You know, and one thing that um, most pastors would have probably heard at some point and really hate when we hear this, this is my little gripe, is that when people leave the church and they say, you know what, I just wasn't being fed there. I just wasn't meeting my needs. I wasn't being fed. What? That is so frustrating to me because I think to yourself, what are you, like a toddler? Are you a baby that you need to be spoon-fed? No. You actually need to learn to feed yourself. There comes a point where you get to a certain age when you can make your own sandwiches and you can feed yourself. You can look after yourself. I mean, our four-year-old, she, if, if she was tall enough, she'd be up there making sandwiches and Fortunately, she's not tall enough to reach those sharp knives, but believe you me, if she could, she'd be like flipping that thing all over the place. So we've got to learn to look after ourselves, to feed ourselves, bring nutrition into our own spiritual life for our own well-being. Sunday is fantastic. Sunday is a celebration of all that God is doing in our lives. It's a, a moment for us to encourage ourselves. But I'm telling you, one meal a week is not enough. It's not enough to be starving. Your belly bone will be hitting your backbone. <laughs> belly bone. Belly button. So what can we do? What, what are some of the self-feeding practices we can get into? And if you want to know more, we're doing Life Track Week 2. Little plug for Life Track. Second week today, we're going to learn these very things. What are some of the habits you can get into to develop your spiritual core muscles? your spiritual core so that you're strong, so you can face things when they come your way. All right, here's some three examples I'm going to give you guys. First one is this, read the Word every day. Read the Bible every day. Develop a habit of reading the Word. Develop a habit. And you might say, well, I don't, you can't tell me what to do. Like, that's just robotic and boring. The thing about the Word of God, it's not just words. It's not just black and white writing on a page. There's something transformative about the Word of God. When you read it as a believer, it comes alive. It comes alive in your spirit. And it's just like any, any sort of long-term habit and behavior, you may not notice much of a difference the next day. You may not notice a difference a week later. Or a couple of weeks later. But I bet by week three, week four, all of a sudden, you're going to feel a little bit different. Because that word has a way of transforming your life. It will transform your inner person. And you will begin to change from the inside out. So instead of saying, oh, I've got to do this and I've got to behave differently because I'm struggling with this and I'm struggling with that. All of a sudden, because the Spirit is working on the inside of you, you're going to be transformed. And what was a struggle is no longer a struggle. So um, I just want to encourage you, if you've got a smartphone, get the YouTube Bible app. It's the best thing going around. version. What did I call it? YouTube. Uh, granddad. <laughs> it's the version Bible app. Um, it is a really powerful tool. 
<laughs> it's such a powerful tool. It's, it's loaded with a variety of different Bible studies that you can do. It even reminds you. How good is that? It'll tell you, ding, ding, wake up, read the Bible. I mean, gee, if you can't do that, I mean, what can you do? It's, the, it's one of the most simple things out there going that you can get into a basic daily habit of transforming your life just by reading the Word of God. Get it in you. In fact, uh, we're doing a, a small group Bible study at the moment. Uh, it's called Hour of Power, I know, a corny name. But all we're doing is reading the Bible. We're reading the Word, we're reflecting on it, and it's great. It brings about great conversation, um, and it's also a, another thing that, to keep one another accountable. Hey, we've got to read the Bible this week. Um, so that's a great encouragement. It's transforming. If I haven't said that enough, it's really powerful. All right, point number two, this is what else we can do, that we can pray. You can pray. Now, sometimes when I say pray and when we think about pray, oh, it's just another thing on my list I've got to do. I've got to pray. Think about prayer as this, again, it's transforming. Prayer is transforming. This is what happens when I pray. I go loaded with my heaviness, loaded with my doubts and my fears and my anxieties and my worries and I'm burdened and I walk into the presence of God and I say, Bleh! and I just vomit it all out before the Lord. This is all the things going wrong in my world. And, and I'm in His presence and He begins to turn things around a little bit. I spend a little bit more time begin to have hope in my heart. I spend a little bit more time. Suddenly, my worries and concerns and fears and doubts are not quite as forefront of my mind and I start to think about His greatness. I start to think about His goodness. I start to think about His faithfulness. My mind is being renewed. I'm in His presence and the longer I do that, the doubts, the fears, the worries that used to be so big in my mind are just like where they need to be, right down here. I'm going strong now. I'm in His presence. That's why prayer is so important as a daily habit. Colossians 3 verse 2 says, We should set our minds on things above and not things beneath. We spend all of our time thinking about things beneath. Jesus said, Paul said, sorry, Set your mind on things above. The message translation, which I love, says this, If you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from His perspective. Can I get an amen? amen. Church, we need to learn. Don't shuffle along looking and worried about all your problems. Look up. Start to gain his perspective. That's where the action is. Come on. All right, the third thing that we can be doing is this. We can focus on relationships. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10. Two people are better off than one. Hallelujah. For they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. I had the honor recently of praying with a good friend who was 
just facing a real crisis in their life. And it's so wonderful to be able to gather around somebody and encourage them and believe with them. You know, what it's like when you, if you're going through something on your own, it's so lonely. You've got no one to reach to. You've got no one to help pick you up. That's why we do community. That's why we do small groups. We just know that sooner or later, so you and me are going to hit the deck. Something's going to happen. We're going to trip. We're going to fall. And life is going to be hard. Don't do life alone. Do it in community. Do it in community. And Sunday's great, but we can do better. We can be part of a small group where we can trust one, one another enough to tell what's really going on on the inside, where the struggles really lie. Don't do life alone. All right, so three things. We're going to pray. Did I miss something? We need to be self-feeders. We need to pray. And we need to focus on relationships. All right, final point. Um, Sorry, I got got you guys mixed up. Um, And I'm mixing up myself, so I'll just not look back. I'm going to look forward um, to a final point, which is this. The story that Jesus told us is actually one of a warning. It's a warning. And I don't know if anyone was alive in the 1960s. I wasn't. So um, for those who were, the reruns, I got to watch the reruns in the 70s. But there was a show called Lost in Space. And it was in black and white. And there was this robot that um, would tell them if something was going wrong. It would say, warning, 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 warning. And that's exactly what this story is about. It's a warning. Warnings these days are not particularly palatable, I've got to say. In our Western world, we don't like to be told about warnings. We don't like it. However, warnings, for the most part, help prevent death. (laughs) They help prevent disaster. You know, you, you might appreciate a warning sign at a beach that says, don't dive in the water because you might break your back. The warning sign is there for a reason so you don't hurt yourself. You might appreciate a road sign that says, the bridge ahead is out, please don't keep driving along this road. It's a warning sign. We heed it because it's it's life and death. There's a stop sign at every intersection for a reason. Don't drive through it because you might get cleaned up and die. That's what warnings are all about. And I believe that Jesus was issuing a warning by telling this story. The warning's there, and he's not doing it like he's not, he's not saying it to scare us. The warning is not there to bring fear. It's not, it's not there to bring fear. It's actually to say, learn a lesson from this story. Understand. You need to understand that, that God's, his desire is for everybody to come into his kingdom, for everybody to have relationship with him. He doesn't want anybody to miss out. He's saying, understand this so that you don't miss out. John 3.16 is clear. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son that anyone who believes may have eternal life. The opportunity is there for everybody. Don't miss out on this wonderful thing. However, we do need to understand that God has a timetable and there, there is an end date. There is a cutoff date. Jesus said this himself in Matthew 24. 
He said, the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world. Or another translation says, all people, all people groups, so that all nations or all people groups will hear it. And then the end will come. The gospel will be preached to all people groups and then the end will come. You know what? I did some research this morning and apparently, so I'm not talking about nations. I'm talking about different ethnic, different people groups. There are 16,842 people groups in the world today. 6,989 of those people groups have been unreached. That represents about 41.5%. When all of those people groups hear the gospel message, that means they have a Bible in their language. That means that they have believers who are indigenous to that society, to that people group, who can share the gospel with other people. When that happens, there will come a time where the end will come. Well, actually, Jesus said that he would return. And Zechariah describes the Messiah returning on the Mount of Olives. So Jesus, Jesus ascended up to heaven before the disciples. They were standing around as he actually levitated and went into heaven. He said he would return right there, back in Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives. And as he was ascending into the, the heavens, angels appeared and they spoke to the disciples and they said, this same Jesus will come back in the same way that you've seen him go into heaven. He's coming back in bodily form. I, I know it's crazy. It's like hard to get your head around what that would even look like. I, I can't give words. I, I really don't understand. However, I know that day will ultimately come. My encouragement today is this. If you have heard the gospel and yet you have never made that decision to follow Jesus, I want to pray for you today. I want to encourage 